0: So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would please speak through your word to us. Help us know how we apply that to our lives today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you hear me? This is on? Okay, great. Um, It is great to see all of you again uh, after the summer, and I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to see you back. One of the things I get to do in the summers is I get to go to other churches, I get to talk to other pastors, and it always makes me so grateful for all of you uh, you are just a great church filled with people with all kinds of crazy amounts of faith. You really want to make a difference in the world. And for me, I, I love you and it is just a privilege to be your pastor. And I am hoping that you feel the same about me after I tell you this story. <laughs> this summer, my family and I were, went to the Oregon coast to meet up with my parents, my siblings and their kids for a Dudley family hootenanny. And one of the things my 10-year-old son loves to do is build these elaborate sandcastles and then defend them as the ocean comes in. So one day we were all shivering under 60-degree cloudy skies. Not that I'm bitter about this summer's weather and not that it's annoying that it's finally nice now that we're all back to work and school. But anyway, my son spent hours building this sandcastle, this huge sandcastle. When he was done, the tide hadn't quite come in yet. So we walked back a few paces to, to our coolers to grab some lunch before going back down to defend the castle. Well, while we were there, this couple comes along, places their toddler in the middle of my son's sandcastle, and tells him to stomp it to the ground, which he does. My son's eyes just got huge, and his little hand was shaking as he held his sandwich, and, and you know he, just, he looked so sad. And, and so I started to walk down to get them to stop. And I was walking, how shall I put this, with purpose. Well, when they saw me, they grabbed their kid and they started walking away. And as they walked away, the guy made a gesture at me. And then, through no fault of my own, my mouth started talking. Ever have that happen? And it said, why don't you wreck your own castle, you big jerk? And the word jerk just hung there in the air. My son's eyes got huge. He went back and told all of his cousins, my dad just called that guy a jerk, right? As my nieces and nephews stared at me, their pastor uncle, right? And then my dad said, good job, son. It shows you're not a wimp. Like he'd been wondering. So I had to then explain to my son that's not the way to handle it and all that, right? Now, I think I was right to want to help my son, but let me ask you this question, and I want you to answer it. I think I did at least one thing wrong in that scenario. What was the thing I did wrong? <laughs> Come on, tell me. Call them a jerk, you think? Because I think it was that I didn't get down there fast enough to say it really close to his face for impact. <laughs> And there you have a great illustration of the natural human tendency toward either fight on my part or flight, like that couple fleeing the crazy pastor on the beach. (laughs) Fight or flight. The problem is, a lot of times, neither of those are really great options, are they? Now, for sure, there are times when we need to defend ourselves or defend others, Jesus himself, in many ways, was a fighter. I mean, at one point, he takes a whip to drive the money changers out of the temple because they're keeping people from God. Conversely, there are times when the best thing to do is just walk away from something. But in many of the situations we face, <clears throat> neither fighting nor flighting are great options. In relationships, for instance, <clears throat> say like in marriage, often couples either, either run away, you know, either literally through divorce or by emotionally withdrawing. Or they keep fighting, each trying to prove that they're right and the other person is wrong. A lot of times in counseling, I'll say to couples, you have a choice. You can be right or you can be married. You pick, right? In relationships, in situations at work, situations in our family, our neighbors, neither fight nor flight really works. We're doing a sermon series this fall called None of the Above. Which I think is a great description of Jesus. Because one of the things that's amazing to me about Jesus is that whenever he was faced with a really lousy binary choice should we tolerate sin or should we judge people? Should we support an oppressive government or should we rebel? Is it A or is it B? Jesus just comes up with something completely different. It's not A, it's not B, it's not even C, it's a banana. You know, it's just a completely different paradigm altogether. He thinks of things we would never think of, which I think shows that we couldn't have made him up because he's just so different. He is the none of the above Lord who has a refreshing, different third way of living and who empowers us to be none of the above kind of people living refreshingly different third way lives. And the story that we read today, I think, told in all four Gospels about Jesus' arrest is a great example of that. In Matthew's version, it says that Judas arrived with a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest to arrest Jesus. Swords? Clubs? Obviously, they are expecting either fight or flight from Jesus. Jesus chooses neither. His disciples, on the other hand, choose both simultaneously, which is hard to do right? They say, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And then before Jesus can even answer, Peter picks up a sword, hacks off the ear of the high priest's servant who's named Malchus, right? Not helpful, Peter, right? For starters, now they're all ready to kill Peter. And for another thing, now there's an ear on the ground, which is always awkward. you going to pick up that ear? Who's going to pick up that ear, right? Deal with that ear, man. He just made it worse. You ever do something like that, right? You try to fight some situation, some person, and you just end up making it worse. Maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker, a family member. You keep arguing with them, arguing with them. You know what? All you're really doing is cutting off their ear, making it impossible for them to hear you because of all of your arguing. That's Peter just making it worse. But then when it's clear to everyone that Jesus actually is going to be arrested and then later crucified, what do the disciples do then? Run away, the little cowards. Right. One guy, who's probably Mark, who wrote the gospel, was so eager to get away that he left his clothes behind and streaked home naked. Okay, that's weird. Right? Like That is just a weird detail that you would not put in there. If you were making it up, you wouldn't put that detail in, right? I know, I'm making up a story. I'll have him run home naked. That, it's got to have happened, really, right? Fight or flight. Neither was helpful or dignified, for that matter. Jesus chooses none of the above. He chooses A third way. He heals Malchus's ear. That is, instead of fighting or flighting, he uses the crisis as an opportunity to bring God's kingdom, bring God's healing, make all things new. And I gotta believe that made a difference. I mean, picture the scene. When Malchus gets back, right, to the high priest, and the high priest goes, how'd it go? You have any problems? Well, you know, a little problem with my ear, sir. What's wrong with your ear? Well, I got cut off. Yeah, but it's there. Yeah, he put it back on. Are you sure we're doing the right thing, arresting this guy? I mean, how would that have impacted him? For the rest of his life, every time he touched that ear, he would have to remember the guy who healed it. Maybe he even became a follower of Jesus. Instead of fight or flight, Jesus chose a third way, renewal and restoration. When I was in college, there was a woman at the church I went to, appropriately named Grace. And Grace would, every Sunday, bring three, three prostitutes to church with her so that they could hear about Jesus. Well, this created a bit of a ruckus with some of the church folk because, you know, it was pretty clear by how they dressed, what these women did for a living. And so some of them, you know, some, some people complained that they couldn't worship with those women in the room. And sometimes these women used foul language and the people had kids and whatnot. Well, the pastors knew that they couldn't just kick these women out, right? That wouldn't be what Jesus would do. But they also wanted to respect some of the complaints or some of the issues of these church people. Now, as a college student, I remember thinking that the pastors should fight, right? Tell those mean, judgmental people about the grace of Jesus. I I can't stand people who judge other people. who judge other people are so, oh, wait a minute. Now, however, as a pastor, I can kind of see the temptation toward flight. Just give in, avoid all the bad emails. I don't think I do that, but I can get the temptation, right? So what do the pastors do? After a lot of prayer and brainstorming, they got an idea that they would get a group of volunteers from the church to sit around Grace and her three ladies all around them every Sunday as sort of a buffer zone between them and everyone else. And then after, so- after church, they'd all, each one of these volunteers would uh, take everyone back, Grace and her three ladies, back to their house for lunch. Well, during one of these lunches in the home, there's a little six-year-old girl there. She got into the lap of one of these prostitutes and started touching her hair. And she said to her, you're pretty. At which point this woman said, I have been touched in every way you can imagine, but this is the first time that ever, ever felt like love. That was a third way, none of the above solution. And it brought healing and life and began to make all things new. That's what Jesus can do. That's why Jesus is so unique. So, how do we discover this third way of living? Whatever issue you face right now, how do we discover this third way of living? Well, it comes down to this one simple point. Rather than using earthly solutions to problems that we've got that are ultimately spiritual, we've got to reverse that and instead use spiritual resources to handle our earthly problems. Because, you see, ultimately everything is a spiritual issue. The Bible says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle is ultimately spiritual. Our weapons need to be different than the weapons of this world. They need to be spiritual. They need to be about the love and the wisdom and the renewing energy of Jesus. We have an enemy. His name is Satan and he is out to derail us by throwing all kinds of problems our way. But you know what Jesus says in the face of those problems? This issue is just a chance, an opportunity for me to bring my kingdom, bring my healing, to make all things new in ways that you would never expect. But because Jesus is so unpredictable, because he zigs when we zag, because his answers are not our answers, we are never going to come up with his third way on our own because it's so different than how we think. So we're going to have to turn to him in prayer and say, Lord, what's your third way solution to this problem? that's what those pastors did in my former church. They prayed, they brainstormed, right? In this story, when, right before Jesus is arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, what's he doing? He's praying. And what's he praying? Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. That is a model prayer. Lord, here's what I want, but what do you want to do with this? Show me so I can be a part. And as he prayed, Jesus realized that his crucifixion, as horrible as it was, was going to be used for ultimate good. To show that God loves us enough to die for our sins, pay the price for them, but also to show that God is even more powerful than death by raising Jesus from the dead three days later. Who would have thought a crucifixion would lead to eternal life? But that's how Jesus, who is God in the flesh, works in surprising none of the above ways that bring the kingdom out of the problems we face. But by definition, his third way is not our way. It's different. It's surprising. It's often kind of quirky. It often even has a sense of humor, and it can take time to discover. So we have to seek his solutions. How? Through prayer, through reading scripture, especially paying attention to the third way kinds of things that Jesus does, which we'll talk about all fall. And then third, maybe asking some folks to brainstorm with you what a third way solution to the issue you face might be. I know a man whose wife's family, through a series of legal maneuvers, completely wrecked his business. And to make things worse, she took their side, not his. And so he and his wife just ended up fighting all the time, constantly. But then they chose the flight option. They just stopped speaking to one another, slept in separate bedrooms, well, at one point, he was at a Christian conference and as he prayed, he got this idea to go home and simply say three words to his wife, I love you. Just those three words, that's it, nothing else. And he figured the idea was from God mostly because he hated it. When he got home from the conference, he could not bring himself to do it. He's just looking at her, angry, icy stares. It took him hours and hours. Finally, he sat down on the couch and he just said those three words, I love you, which was followed by a long, awkward silence. But then eventually his wife started to cry. And then she started to talk about all the remorse, all the pain, all the ways that she was sorry, and they began to put their marriage back together. Spiritual solution to an earthly problem, he discovered it in prayer. Which brings me to the other thing we have to do to live third-way kinds of lives. And this one is so obvious, I'm just going to touch on it, and then I'm going to be done. But i got to say it, it's so obvious. Once we see Jesus third way, then we actually have to do it. Because just like in that story, this guy's marriage, the third way is going to cost us something. Time, money, pride, something. I mean, it's the third way, after all, led Jesus to the cross. But it also led him through the cross to the resurrection. Jesus' third way will cost, which means we have to have courage to do it, but it also leads to new life, joy, healing, restoration, not just for us, but for the people around us. <clears throat> this summer, my family and I were... At Safeco Field, watching the Mariners play the Red Sox, which was not exactly an atmosphere conducive to third-way kind of living. And there was this one Red Sox fan in the next row, just a little bit over, who was really loudly, very loud, saying really inappropriate really rude things. For instance, every time Ichiro was at the plate, he'd yell out really loudly, Ichiro, go back to Japan where you belong, and stuff that was just really inappropriate, <clears throat> really rude. The whole section was yelling at this guy to be quiet, even other Red Sox fans. I mean, that's how, that's how bad it was. Well, for a while, Christina and I kept our mouths shut, but then after a little bit, we both got a little bit snarky. <clears throat> and this was the same week as the beach incident, so this was a, just a bad week, okay? But <laughs> Other than that, I was really good all summer long. You know, we got a little snarky. Things were sad. We don't need to go into what and by whom, right? But at one point, folks yelled at this guy, why don't you go back to Boston? And he said, I wish I could. So my wife yelled back, I'm sure if we passed a hat, we'd have your airfare in no time. (laughs) The woman next to her patted her arm and said, good for you, dear, right? Finally, I said to Christina, we've got to stop this. We're not behaving very well. And besides, there might be church people here. (laughs) Eventually, this guy was so awful, the ushers actually booted him out. Well, meanwhile, behind me, there was this other Red Sox fan who was there with his four and his six-year-old sons for their first baseball game ever. And they were cheering hard for the Red Sox, but they were different than the rest of us. And I heard him mention going to church, so I'm pretty sure he's a Christian. For instance, when the Red Sox were trailing, his son said, are we going to come back? And he said, well, I hope so, but see that guy on the mound? That's Felix Hernandez. He's a Cy Young winner. It's going to be hard. When Ichiro came to the plate, he'd say to his sons, that guy is a, is a Hall of Famer. You've got to show respect for that guy. When the ump called a Red Sox player safe and he was out by a mile, the ump actually reversed the call. I have never even heard of that happening. Right? The Red Sox fans were booing, hissing, and his son said, well, what happened? And the dad said, the ump reversed the call. And even though that's bad for us, that was the right thing to do because it was a bad call. When everyone else around him was fighting or flighting, just trying to stay low, right, he was a positive force, showing class, integrity, honesty, respect, and teaching his sons how to do the same. And through him, I started to feel inning after inning. Jesus started to nudge me. Come on, Dudley, you're a pastor. Come on, you know, you can do better than this. So I started to say to my kids, see this guy behind me? Listen to him. He's That's how you want to be. Not ignore your parents, but this guy right here, man. And then at the end of the game, I put my hand on his shoulder and said, I want you to know I think you are a great dad. And you are showing your sons how to be men of integrity. And I really respect that. So refreshingly different than the obnoxious Red Sox fan in the row over there and so different than the snarky pastor and his wife, or at least for the first part of the game before we started to get better. You know, in the book of Acts, Christians were not called the church or it wasn't called Christianity back then. You know what it was called? It was called the way. And that's what Jesus empowers us to do live a third-way kind of life. It's not always easy. We will mess up just like I did, but Jesus will remind us, Jesus will empower us to be none of the above kinds of people as he did for me in that game through a Red Sox fan. So where are you faced with a fight or a flight option? In your family, in your work, in your neighborhood, where is it? Will you spend some time praying this week and say, Jesus, show me your third way? Maybe even get some folks around you to brainstorm what that third way might be. What is his none-of-the-above solution to the issue you face? Because here's the deal. He is Lord of the third way, and the place we see this the best is at the cross. I mean, the cross is the most out-of-the-box, unexpected answer there ever could be. It's at the cross where Jesus, who is God himself, puts himself in the place that we deserve so that we could go to the place that only he deserves. It's at the cross where Jesus takes all of the hate that was thrown at him and uses it to reveal how much he loves us. It's at the cross where Jesus absorbs death and turns it back again into life when he's raised three days later. And it's at the cross that God comes down so that we can go up. It is surprising. It is different. It is third way. It is not what gods are supposed to do. In fact, it is not what any other god in any other religion ever even had the guts to do only Jesus, because he is the the out-of-the-box, like no other, completely different, zigging when we're zagging, utterly unique, none of the above Lord. And he empowers us to live surprisingly refreshing, third-way lives in his name. So Jesus, give us all the creativity you had, all the creativity you have, because we're going to need it. We cannot figure this way out on our own. In the issues we face this week, show us what a third way, a surprising, different way of living would be. Make us those kinds of people, and we'll be grateful. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.